What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Complete Center's Guide. I'm your host, Tyler Fowler, and with me as always, my co-host, Mr. Joshua Davison and Noah Chalaya. What is going on, gentlemen? How y'all doing this weekend? Or this week? Weekend. I'm yeah, doing all right, weekend. bud. Things I'm are going great. <laughs> right on, man. So anything new with you guys? Like, so we, Noah, you haven't chatted with us for a little bit. Last week you came on, right? Mm-hmm. So what is going on new in your life? I just want to bring you on first and just what is new since the last time you really, you've really interacted with us, bro. You've been kind of in the, you know, the background for a little bit, man. Now we see you. Now we see the face behind everything that CSG does, right? So what is going on, bro? How have you been? How's it going? God, God has been good, brother. It, I, uh, so I've got part-time job over at uh, at my local church and so uh, there's been a lot of interesting projects that have gone on over there and so I've had an opportunity to be involved in that and then day job just keeps me pretty busy so it uh, but it's been good God has been showing me teaching me lessons I feel like every day on better ways to serve people better ways to love people yeah. um, and has given me an ample opportunity and I feel like every time I get part of that right then God looks down he's like Oh, he got it. Now let's give him something else to do. Now, how about right. this challenge? Now, how about this rock? And if it I can keep coming, stacking, bro. Yeah, it exactly. It does. Joshua Davidson, man, what is going on? How you been? What's new in your life? And how's the week been for you? <laughs> well, uh, what's new? Uh, I got mm. a gas leak on my car, so that's going to be sitting for a minute. Man, um, you no, know, like enough. you said, it, it, this is funny because I was just I was just re-listening to our episode about depression. And yeah. one of the things that Noah said on there was, yeah, I was doing just fine. I found a nice church and a week later I was in a wreck. Now I'm shopping for a car. It's like, yep. 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 That's it. Happens, it. Uh, but this week it has does. been all right. Uh, I finished, uh, um, well, pseudo finished a remodel project that I've been doing and cleared the room and it's ready for a new floor this weekend. So our awesome floor guy, Willie's going to come in and put in a new floor. And then I got to pull an internet line or two internet lines in that uh, office uh, for the vice president of the organization. And then that room will be fully operable and he can bring his furniture in. So I feel accomplished. It's uh, right satisfying. It's nice to feel that, right? It's just that sense of accomplishment. You've got something done. Now you can move on to the next thing. Kind of like what Noah was talking about. Once you've accomplished something, God said, all right, yep, he's got that. Let's move on to something right. else. It's, it's that right. progress, right? It's that maturity. It's the progress of becoming more like Christ in just day-to-day life. That I don't know. Yeah. I just look back on at the end of the day and just think, you know what? Even through the bad things that happen, there's still good in it. And even in the heat of it, like, even, uh, let me get personal for just a second, just a second. Like, even whenever it's just say me and my wife fight, right? Even in the heat of it, at the end of the day, before that sun goes down, we have made amends. And I mean, that's that's just you know our routine, right? We have to make amends before the sun goes down we don't want to give the devil an opportunity. And so before we even got married, that was one of our things that we decided to do is if we ever got in a fight, then make amends before the sun goes down. And so whenever we do that and I go to bed thinking, you know, just looking back, even at that moment, I can still see God working. Right. And there's still, you know, so that just tells me I can, you know, at the end of the day, I can say there's still good, even in the bad. Right. And so with that being said, we have an awesome, awesome show lined up for you all tonight. Atheism. Atheism is going to be the topic. And we have with us our special guest, Dr. Braxton Hunter. And for those who don't know, 
He is the president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, 45 minutes north of me, representing Indiana. He so is so he's, he's expecting yeah. your enrollment soon, right, Tyler? Yeah, right, 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 right. So no, <laughs> definitely, definitely, we got we gotta we gotta catch up. But I agree. Like, I'm I'm so pleased to be with you here, Tyler, yeah. and and everybody else. And uh, yeah, if you ever decide you want to go to Trinity, we'll fix you up. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, man, I'll just give you the floor. Introduce yourself for those who don't know you and just tell us what is it about atheism exactly that really attracted you to that topic specifically? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You've yeah. my most important credential is that I'm a servant of our king. That's the most important thing about me. And um, I think that should be said first and foremost. But it is true that I am in administration. I'm the president at Trinity College and Seminary, as you said. I also run the YouTube channel, Trinity Radio, which also exists as a podcast. People can find that by going to the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. Why atheism? Well, uh, I was the son of a megachurch pastor, and I didn't have any of the negative experiences that people usually associate with being the son of a big pastor. My parents were always real loving towards us and me and my brother and, and didn't make us feel like we had to be, you know, uh, perfect all the time like you would expect a pastor's son maybe feels like he has to be. Uh, me and my brother aren't even named biblical names, but uh, because we, my dad knew all these pastors that there's children were Joseph and Mary and all that. Right. He didn't even want us to have that sort of pressure on us. He just wanted us to feel um, like we were like we were normal church members, you know, yeah. and uh, I picked up on this this love for ministry and felt that God was leading me into the gospel ministry. And so I was a youth pastor, then a pastor. Then I went into full time evangelism somewhere in the midst of all of that. And I am I'm trying to answer the question with brevity, but that's hard for <laughs> those of us who speak for a living. But uh, but I uh, I had a friend from high school. I'd gone to a Christian school and this friend began to experience same sex attraction. And this led to a degradation in his faith to where he ultimately realized that if he was going to live a biblically consistent life, he had to reject the, the lifestyle that he was heading towards. Uh, he decided ultimately to reject biblical Christianity and embrace the lifestyle. And everything I've done since then, he now identifies as an atheist, and everything I've done really since then in apologetics has ultimately been to reach him. Um, hope, hopefully God has used this to reach other people. And of course we have testimony of that, but, uh, but that's why atheism was so wow. strong on me was because I saw people that I loved very closely, um, walking away from the faith and embracing that position. And so that's why really, I guess my ministry in apologetics has been for the past at least three years focused primarily on atheism. Right on, right on. That's that's hard to see somebody in your family. So perfect example is in, in, within my own church. We just had a daughter walk away claiming that, you know, mm -hmm. she now believes that she is a male and, and all of these different things. And so how did that, can I just ask you this, just first and foremost, what was your initial response to that? Probably not good. Um, yeah. He knew it wouldn't be good <laughs> from his perspective, well, sure. but I was a younger guy at the time. I was pastoring at the time, uh, but I was in my early 20s, and I probably didn't say the right things to him. Probably I said some some things that were reactionary 
um, or overly aggressive in our conversation because we were close friends. There was like a brotherly sort of wrestling yeah. around in the backyard sort of attitude with us. So sure, we, I mean, I, we got aggressive with each other, but looking back, I can see, I can think about those conversations and there were a few hits by which, I mean, I said the right thing and God seemed to use that, but there were a lot of misses. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to learn how to do apologetics properly because I felt myself, I didn't feel that my faith was rattled or, or that doubt was seriously affecting me as a result of hearing what he was going through. Yeah. But I wanted to give an answer that I didn't know how to give. I wanted to mm -hmm. say something I didn't know how to say. And apologetics, the study of Christian defense, giving an answer, um, gave me, I think, what I needed to, that hopefully in the future those conversations went better than they did yeah. uh, with him originally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, because see, what you're describing is kind of sounds like me and Josh, right? And, and if, if Josh or if I were to walk away from the faith, I don't know how that would, or just to see Josh walk away from it, right? Like, I don't know how that would affect me or no, or somebody like that. Like, I don't know if it would shake my faith or I don't know if it would probably give me the drive to, you know, win these people back. Right. And it's like, no, really no, 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 traumatizing, man. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really traumatizing for my spirit. Like, in general, like the way that you phrased that, you said, if I were to walk away and, and what would happen to Josh, it's like, I would be traumatized, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like I have so much, like, I don't want, like not necessarily investment, but I can't think of a better word. Like my, my emotions and my, my, my vulnerability that's been invested in you as a person, that would be really traumatizing for me. I can imagine like really. All right. So Man, with that being said, then, so Josh, I know you had a question. We, we got a bunch of questions actually for you, Dr. Braxton. So let me, let, Josh, if you want to just go ahead and start off. Just, just first and foremost, thank you for being here. Um, I appreciate what you do. I've been watching Trinity radio for man, since it was a little after, uh, Pritchett was in the debate with Leighton, uh, with the, the two Calvinist gentlemen on the, the stage with the wow, that that whole episode. It was very recently after that, that I began to listen to Trinity Radio. So I remember when you guys weren't strictly doing the atheist thing. I remember that transition. Um, yeah. I just really, I so deeply appreciate what the both of you do, just the, the, the candor, the way that you guys are able to play back and forth off of one another and the way that you're able to to still maintain a level of humility and, um, you know, um, empathy and sympathy for the people that you're talking to and about. And you make sure always to mention that this is not when I'm, when I'm disagreeing, I'm not talking about the person I'm talking about the idea that the person is purporting. That's what I'm disagreeing with. And not all ideas are created equal. It's like, yeah, amen. You know, but some ideas technically are, are better than other ideas. And we know that uh, one of the things that's the purpose of apologetics is actually to not only argue and just disagree with somebody, but stage positively what it is that we believe and why in the world we believe it. Um, so yeah. I guess the first thing that I would want to hear from you is what is your what is your favorite argument for God's existence? What like what is it? How would you explain it to the common man? Um, and and why is that your favorite? So first of all, thank you for watching the show for as long as you did. I'm glad that you were introduced to the show uh, by watching a debate that is widely considered one of the most civil debates. I think we all know that. Uh, that <laughs> <it's ever been. laughs> for those that don't know, that was a particularly fiery debate. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's of course over on the YouTube channel if anyone wants to check it out. But uh, and what what for those that don't know, what he's referring to is my co-host on Trinity Radio um, is is a little bit snarkier than me, a little bit more straightforward. And oftentimes he says the thing that someone out in the audience is going, "Yes, somebody finally said it," and I'm here to go. Pritch it now, now, calm down, you know. <laughs> right, and so we have that good, good cop, bad cop sort of uh, uh, way about us. But uh, so my favorite argument for God's existence, um, and this is going to sound totally like what people would expect apologetics junkies like me to say, but it's just true, and that is, I think that uh, an argument for God's existence that is known as the Kalam cosmological argument. And the only reason I spelled that out is in case people that don't know want to research that. I have a video. We have a playlist, short play, short videos playlist, and uh, and it, it explains it. But simply put, uh, what we're talking about here, and I always tell people that aren't familiar with the argument, because um, I'm guessing from you guys that that's kind of, we, we expect there may be people in the audience who don't know what this argument for God really says. For sure. And for sure. So, what, so what this argument is trying to do, this is going to be the handrail that I'm going to give you right now that if you start to get lost, just remember this handrail because this is very, this is going to help you center yourself if you get lost. All we're really saying here is that God is the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. And I think that's something that uh, at least kids growing up in a Christian family and arguably people not growing up in a Christian family can think of early on in their life. They think, well, both my daughters, when they were about six years old, they're different ages, but they were both about six years old. They came to me and said, Daddy, I know there's a God. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, because if there was no God, where'd all this stuff come from? Now, that's right. simple. And that's even could be seen by people that want to argue against this argument as simplistic. And there's certainly more that can be said, but it's an argument that is simple enough it can be understood by a six-year-old and complex enough that philosophers can argue about it. But basically, here's how the argument goes. So everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. So, and this seems intuitive to most people. I mean, it, you didn't decide to be born. Your parents did something that we're not going to talk about on this rated PG right. program uh, that, that led uh -huh. to your being born. The same for them. Uh, the same for any particular thing that happens or begins to exist around you. When fireworks goes off, there's a reason the firework was shot up into the air. There's a causal chain. All right. Now that's, that right. seems simple enough for people to understand. Everything that begins to exist has to have a cause. Then the second thing is the universe is like that. The universe began to exist. Now, this is pretty well borne out by modern science. Now, there are people that still argue against this, but generally speaking, the, it's accepted by most people that the universe began to exist. Now, when people challenge each of these things, believe it or not, people challenge these ideas. We, we have responses we give, but that, that's the idea. So everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe is like that. So the universe um, must have had a cause for its existence. Right. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't get you to God, right? And atheists are quick to point this out to us. No. But what it does is it shows you that the universe must have had a cause that wasn't the universe. The universe had to have a cause. And here is the, the difficult thing uh, to explain. I've, I've, I've tried to explain this enough now that I've found where it's difficult for people to follow. So I've got an analogy. Am I going too long here, guys? No, no, no. This is perfect, no. man. Go ahead. Okay, good. Thank you. So uh, in my family, we like the Toy Story films. And I would wager that many of your listeners are familiar with the Toy Story franchise. Well, what if I asked you that, uh, who's the best, who's your favorite character in the Toy Story films? Um, and uh, I said, well, I think Woody is the best character. 
And I said, okay, well, who brought the Toy Story universe into existence? This digital animated universe, this world that that, right. that exists only on, on in the computer and on film, right? Um, how did that come to be? What caused that to come to be? Well, what if I said, I think that Woody the Cowboy, since he's the best character in the film, he's the reason those films came to be. Well, you know instantly that's ridiculous because Woody's in the film. He's one of the things we're trying to explain. Right. Woody can't explain it. Buzz Lightyear can't explain it. Slinky Dog can't explain it. Um, so we know that someone outside of that universe, that digitally created universe, had to bring that universe into existence. Nothing in that digital world could be the cause of it because that's the thing we're trying to explain. Well, um, in a similar way, um, it's important, I think, to look at the universe like that. Nothing, Just like nothing in the digital universe of Toy Story could cause it to come into existence, something outside of that had to bring, we know, directors, filmmakers, animators. In a similar way, the universe isn't made of Woody and Buzz and Slinky Dog uh, or Mr. Potato Head. The, our universe, the actual universe, is made up of generally three things, time, space, and matter, physical matter. Right. So what that means is whatever caused the universe to come into existence is not in time. We could call it timeless. It's not in space. It's spaceless. And it's not made of physical matter. So uh, that's pretty good for a start, but there's other things we can know. The cause not only is spaceless, timeless, and not made of matter, but it also has to be uh, sufficiently powerful to begin the universe. And we would say uh, that it would have to be it would have to be a mind because um, there are reasons we could give for this. But very simply put, in a state of timeless nothingness, one would have to decide to create to to do something to decide to create from nothing. So, in just a few minutes talking, we have a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise mind as the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. And that starts to sound a lot like what Jews and Christians have always thought about when they look at Genesis 1-1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So obviously, there's more there that would sure. need to be unpacked. But I think that's a, the reason I love it is because even though it takes a few minutes to kind of let it sink in what we're saying, it, it, it is something that you don't have to have a lot of prerequisite science or philosophy to understand. Most of this you can access just by reasoning and thinking in your mind. Yeah, that seems right. I think that's right. And you get to pretty quickly, okay, if the universe had to have a cause and it can't be the universe, well, then it was a spaceless, timeless, non-material, sufficiently powerful, exceedingly wise mind or right. God. And right. so I love that argument right. and I think it works pretty well. Let me ask yeah, you this. Yeah, I mean, that's legit, man. Like, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Josh and I have been talking about the Imago Day, like he said a while ago. Do you think that it's the Imago Day within us that actually makes us question where did I come from? Like, is that part of that? Like, yeah. we see practically, or 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 how how would you explain that? Like, what makes humans question where did I come from and make us want to find out? You know how the universe began to because because what you're talking about, Braxton, is that you know this philosophy and that people have thought about these things. We all think about them. But we all have this natural, and I'm going to say natural here, curiosity, right? Mm. Is that the Imago Day? Yeah. You put that really interestingly, and I like the way you phrase it. I've never quite heard it phrased. Is that why we search for God or, 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 or curious about these things? So when I talk about the Imago Day, um, the Imago Day um, in Genesis 1 
here's how I get to what I think, because it's ambiguous. It's not that the Bible doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's just that we don't get all the information about everything that we would like to get in the Bible. I always say angels. I'd like to know more about angels, but the only time we really find out about angels is when they show up in a story and do something, we find out something about them. I just wish the Bible told me more about angels, but it doesn't. And I wish it explained in more detail the Imago Dei. But here I think is a faithful way to get to what it is and what it means. So um, we're made in the image of God. That's what we mean by the Imago Dei. And um, when, when the way I think we can get there is to look at what is true about us that is true about God that is not true about the animals. So things that that are, tr- that are true about us and God that are not true about the animals, because that's how you would separate out what is it that's unique about us. And I think you come up with several things pretty quickly. One thing you come up with is creativity. And curiosity is, in a sense, uh, a cousin to creativity. And in a passage replete with God's creative act, like Genesis 1, I think that's an important thing. Now, some animals have demonstrated a certain level of creativity, but nothing like what humans have. Um, Humans have a, a different kind of intellect. We can have thoughts about our thoughts. Now, my dog, Indiana, we named the dog Indiana, and my dog, Indiana, when he, uh, I think he's just thinking food, 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 pet, 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 outside, outside. And he's not even thinking those words, just impulses really. But we have what's called higher order thinking. We think about our thoughts. What does it mean that I'm thinking about the fact that I'm hungry? Mm-hmm. Should I eat? You know, those are kind of thoughts that separates us. And of course, according to biblical revelation in Romans chapter 12 and verse two, we find out that uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So our minds can be renewed in a way that animals, we have no reason to believe animals' minds can be renewed like that. So creativity, intellect, free will, I think, if one believes we have free will or a robust understanding of free will, I think that's something we share with God that we don't necessarily share with the animals um, because I do think it kind of requires higher order thinking. And of course, I believe uh, this goes along with our minds being renewed. I think that we have souls that can connect to God. Um, and, And so I think that those kind of things kind of inform what we understand about the image of God. This is something that's been standing out to us lately. Uh, Braxton is this image of God concept um, that, that Tyler and I have really been trying to investigate more deeply Mm. Um, and in different kinds of ways, we're really just pondering the best we can, you know, Um, and, and neither of us are scholars and I, you know, I've, I've never been to college. So, you know, my, my, my grasp is limited but I've, I've been, I, it, listen, if you'd gone to college, it wouldn't necessarily mean your grasp of any of this would be any better. We're talking about weighty issues here. Yeah, sure. fair enough. I mean, well, and, and I don't mean what I, what I don't mean is that we're uninformed. What I mean is that I don't have a lot of maybe the formal language that would, that would be used mm. as the right tool to explain yeah. it. Um, but I think Sorry. what we've come to is that uh, you, you described, there are three things that the universe is made of. Those, that, like compositionally made of, right? But for the human person, there's something unique about the human person because of the fact that we're made in the image of God. I think there's a fourth thing the universe is made of, and that's meaning. Um, mm. and, and that's actually how we interact with the universe that we're in. And I think that's the most um, immediate way that we're in God's image, if that makes sense uh, for me. It's is that there's a, are, are you saying that there's a purpose that we have a divine purpose for our lives? Is that kind of what you're hitting at? Well, yes, there's a purpose, but also there's um, it's, it's like th- there's, there's a, there's an ability to 
uh, be in in harmony with the intention God has for you Mm, or to not be in harmony with the intention God has for you. And the way that we differentiate between those two things is, is one of value and meaning, not one of composition or anything that the universe is quote made of. Right. Mm. But instead we don't react with the matter. We don't react with time. We don't like, those are not the things that we're interacting with when we live, we're reinteracting with meaning. And Mm. so it's kind of like the way that you describe those things that we have in connection with God that are not necessarily how the animals have. I don't believe that animals can perceive the kind of meaning that we're talking about when we live in the universe as human persons embodied, right? Um, there's something unique about that. Um, but that's, it's kind of one of those things that, that for us has been standing out recently. And I think that that's that what you just mentioned and what Tyler just mentioned was kind of revelatory for me. That was really cool. Well, yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. And, uh, with these, with these things that I typically think of with the Imago Dei, I think the meaning is only possible because, of, I agree with you. I don't think that my dog has a lot of philosophical thoughts about meaning or what God wants for his life or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, he's just following impulses, but we do have, yeah. have meaning and, and a sense of meaning. And that's possible because of the higher order level of thinking we're capable of that God gave us. Uh, this, the soulish nature of us, the, 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 I think that the free will is necessary for thinking about these things. So I think that you're talking about something that sits at, at the heart of what it means to have the image of God because of these things that I already would have listed. And maybe you've given me another one that I should list. Well, I, I mean, I, cool. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, wow. Yeah. Sure. Josh is blown away right now. <laughs> well, I really I can am. See it on his face. Very, like the way that you right, I mean... explain that the way that that landed for me was like, i it was like it was saying before revelation. Like for me, that was revelatory. I feel like I like you guys just like pulled the veil off of something for me personally. Just now. Well, cool. I'm glad who wouldn't want to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Picking up the pieces, making the picture a little bit more clear, man. And, and that's, that's really like what it's all about, honestly. And that's something for me personally with the Imago Day, just, you know, kind of camping on it for a little bit longer. Cause I would hold to, and not to get into like a debate or anything about it, but I would hold to Calvinism. Right. And so for me to see people in the sense of, you know, elect, non-elect, and, and it goes deeper than that. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, there is still that, right? There is still that ultimately, if you think about it. And so that, to shape how I you know, interact with people, because I do believe we are all created in the image of God. I do believe that is what sets us apart, whatever that means, whatever the mm. image of God is in all of its entirety. I think that is what separates humans from everything else created, right? I and agree. So with that, those people, those reprobate, right? they're still in the image of God. And so that has Mm -hmm. to mean something. You can't just throw that out. So for me personally, I'm reevaluating that. And I don't know, that's just kind of where I'm at, you know. And so forgive me if I'm kind of stumbling through it. Like that's, that's just where I'm at personally. No, I, and, and, you know, I, I, my understanding is that Calvin said that whoever you're talking, this is going to be a paraphrase. I'm a butcher Calvin here, but Um, uh, I worked that soundbite in somehow, but, um, but the, uh, but, but I, it's my understanding that he said something like, it doesn't matter if you're talking to a beggar on the street or a King, this is someone you should have a certain amount of respect for just based on their, that they're made in the image of God. Right. Yeah. And I think that's true. Yeah. 
Right. And right. That, well, and, yeah, at the, ahead, at the risk of this tangenting into, into Calvinism somehow, um, <laughs> we, because I, I don't necessarily want that to, I don't want that to come in necessarily. Cause well, yeah, hold on. Absolutely. First of all, you guys should know that one of my closest friends in the world is Chris state oh, who yeah. is a is a very well-known Calvinist. Oh yeah. And we he's talk on, all the he's time been on CSG before. Yeah. Multiple oh, has times, he? Multiple times. Yeah. Him and, uh, Robert Wiesner, they debated. Oh yeah. Hell. Ross Burns, uh, and then we've had Chris on to just kind of a one-on-one conditional immortality. Loved him, man. Love Chris. Yeah. So, so I'm a friendly non-Calvinist. You don't have to worry. Pritchett's not here. Nobody's going to get hurt. My, my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> See, so I would take that then. It was kind of predestined that his son's son son's birthday this weekend. That's right. Yeah, today. That's right. So we invited uh, Jonathan Pritchett to come on, but he, you know, he had other things to do with his family, which, hey, totally understandable. But the next time you don't get that pass, so you can't use it. Yeah, no, I'm just playing, brother. Oh. I love you, man. But so, all right. So let's kind of, we have gotten off of atheism. So let's kind of get back on that track a little bit. Um, Josh, you did send uh, some questions and I want to, I kind of want to camp on this one because I, uh, this is interesting to me because of what we were talking about earlier, right? Whenever, if Josh were to leave the faith, it, it, it would shake my faith. And I pray that that would never happen. Right. Cause Josh is one of those people that, I mean, like, like he said, we've invested so much trust into each other to see that just go away. Right. Just one day. I mean, it would, I, I don't even know what it would do, but to piggyback on that now kind of is the first question Josh sent. What is the best atheist objection you've heard against the existence of God? This is, again, this may sound like the response you would, you would expect if you're a person who's familiar with these discussions, mm-hmm. but not all of our listeners are. I think uh, the, the best argument that atheists have for the non-existence of God is what is called an evidential argument from evil. And what, so the problem of evil in general is something that Christians often think of on their own. I mean, atheists never had to raise this. Because most Christians would think of it on their own. Why did God allow this horrible thing to happen? Whatever that thing might be. Why did he allow my child to die? Why did he allow Hurricane Katrina? Why Afghanistan? Why, you know, why the Holocaust? These are things that, that I think should give Christians pause. I think we should stop and not be so cavalier and, and think about this deeply because even if it weren't an atheist bringing an argument from that, that God must not exist, because of all the evil in the world, a God would stop that, right? If he's all loving, all powerful, all knowing, he would stop that and he could stop it. It's mm. still there. So clearly God doesn't exist. I mean, that's basically the, that's basically the sense of those kind of arguments. That's interesting. And Christians will think of that on their own. They may not question God's existence right away, but they will think, why did he allow this to happen? So I think it's right. fair. And another thing about it is it's got a strong emotional punch to it. Right. Um, e- mm-hmm. Even though I currently am convinced we have solid intellectual answers to those that make sense of why God may allow uh, pain and suffering to exist. Yeah. I, I still think um, it still, it still bothers me emotionally, right? Even though I intellectually have what I think is a, a good explanation for that. So I'd say that, and, and what I said was the evidential argument from evil. So within that whole notion, there are, there are, atheists who will argue, therefore, God does not exist. Because this evil stuff happens, therefore, God doesn't exist. But the stronger argument makes a softer claim, and that is to say, okay, we can't say for sure God doesn't exist, but wouldn't you at least agree that the level of senseless suffering, gratuitous suffering, that's suffering without any 
obvious purpose that God could bring out of it or something. Doesn't that at least lower the probability for you that such a God exists? I think that is a fair question. We have answers to them that I think are, are good enough that that problem doesn't really bother me much anymore intellectually, right. but I think that's the best they have in their defense. You know what's really interesting, actually, yeah. is that we had a recently, Tyler and I did an episode uh, with J.D. Martin, and then it followed yeah, I know up JD. with, uh, uh, late, we also had Flowers on uh, to follow up, uh, J.D. and Flowers both, and we were talking about uh, divine providence and exactly this, like the allowance, like what that means, and in more, more specifically, because J.D. and Tyler are both Calvinists, we, it was incorporated with the idea of decree, um, and and uh, such things and, and the, the the allowance of freedom and what that would mean uh, mm-hmm. uh, for me as a non-Calvinist, for Tyler as a Calvinist and so on. But also in general, um, we, we, we kind of, you know, address those things often in what we're doing, because one of the things that we talk about a lot in the podcast is actually how to deal with sin uh, in our sin and the sin of other people when it hurts you and uh, drug addiction and depression and, and real, you know, thick, hard to talk about, you know, catching your throat kind of topics. And that is basically the problem of pain, the problem of evil, like yeah. you just said. And it's not something that that should be strayed from. I don't think that people should run away from it. They should look it in the face because if you can't, it will overtake you eventually. You have to be mm-hmm. honest with, I think that's, that's, you're right. That's something that it does have a, an emotional punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, just to run down real quickly, because I'd hate for us to present a possible concern for people and then not give them some kind of an answer. I'll uh, very That's quickly, I'll going. just say there, there are generally four answers that are given uh, to this, and it's going to be some variation of these four. And uh, that is one character building. Some people say God created a world that he knew would have pain and suffering in it because experiencing pain and suffering builds our moral character and integrity. Well, I think that's certainly true in biblical Romans. Uh, I think Romans five actually talks about the fact that um, this can build us, build our character, build us uh, into better people. And that's true. We know that's true. We look at someone who struggles with cancer or you yourself out there may have struggled with cancer and came out the other side, an inspiration to, to other people. Right. And it, it makes us better to watch someone experience that, that we love. So that's one thing, but I don't think it's the whole picture. Then there is the heaven answer, which says, well, look, in some sense, what we're experiencing now is important to the kind of people we're going to be in heaven. Right. And it's like, it, it's building us into those kind of people. So it's kind of like the last answer, but also the, the emphasis is placed usually by someone who gives this answer is to say, look, there is a lot of pain, but this is only going to be a moment in light of eternity and in eternity, we'll experience, um, you know, no pain, no suffering, every tear from their eye, you know, that sort of thing. So that's an, I think that's true too. I mean, the Bible does, we, we do hear about that. Um, the third thing would be the reformed answer. This would be the, and just because it's called the reformed answer doesn't mean that Calvinists are the only ones who can give it. Uh, Calvinists are often considered part of a tradition called the, you know, the reformed tradition. Uh, and it also uh, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it if you're not a Calvinist. The Reformed answer basically wants to highlight the fact that God um, created a world that would have pain and suffering in it, but that, that he um, has a purpose for everything. And so whatever evil thing you want to bring up, whatever painful thing, you say, well, that, that just seems like there's no purpose for that, um, no matter how bad it is. And atheists are happy to detail how bad things can happen in this world oh, and how bad yeah. they are. Yeah. But uh, the Calvinist wants to say, and I would say, God has a purpose for that. 
And that would be a, a simple way of explaining the Reformed theodicy. And then the fourth answer would be one that um, some Calvinists would give, depending on your understanding of free will. Calvinists affirm free will. I'm sure Tyler affirms free will. It's just, what do you mean when you say free will, right? But let's exactly. set that aside for a minute and just say this. The free will theodicy says God created a world that, that he, uh, he, he, he wanted man to, to experience free will, Um this is an implication drawn from scripture, but I think there are passages that can't be understood without this. Um, but I'm also, I hope you understand. I'm also trying to bifurcate this from the whole discussion about Calvinism and just say, look, uh, God wanted people to have real love and that requires real freedom. Um, that we would say, I would say, and even in the garden, you see there are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil gets all the glamor, but you've got two trees there, right? And it's like every day they had to make a choice. Atheists will make fun of this. They'll say God set them up to fail by putting the tree there. I see it exactly the opposite. God is giving them the opportunity to make a choice every day. Are you going to love and obey me and give up what you could have for the sake of a relationship with me? Or are you going to uh, choose self and serve self? And of course, that's what they ultimately chose. So I, the free will answer says the, the, the bad things that happen in this world, the pain and suffering happen because of the free actions of man, or perhaps the free actions of angels and demons, we could say, but uh, as a part of that, but that means that you can't lay it directly at the feet of God. And so I think all four of these answers give us a piece of the puzzle. And so um, I, I think that uh, those are important things to keep in mind as you're considering this. But one thing I would say is when I'm saying that, uh, moral pain and uh, pain and suffering and, and evil in this world that happens is the result of the free choices of people. I want to be clear to say that does not mean that for you personally, if right now you're going through a particularly difficult financial time or you have some illness or something like that, it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't necessarily mean that you did something that God is now punishing you directly. Right. It just means that the existence of sin and suffering and pain traces back to choices. Yep. And yeah. I could, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I was stuck in that trap, I think. I mean, and to be honest, like I kind of do get stuck in that trap sometimes. I think maybe we all do. Right. But at the end of the day, I love what you guys are saying because it's true. First and foremost, you have to have a balance, right? There is no, it's only free will. It's only God's sovereignty. It's both. And I mean, there is mm -hmm. this point. And I think I really think God created it like that for what you were saying about character building. This is it, regret. It's a good thing. Pain. It's a good thing, right? It can be a good thing. Why? Because it shapes and molds us like you were saying. So having a combination of all of these different arguments, I think it, 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 it makes a good argument, not only a good argument, but it's actually what we see. It's actually what we experience. I can see through my drug addiction that I was going through. I promise you all, anyone going through a drug addiction right now, listening to this radio show, I promise you, you will go through hell. It sucks. But whenever you get through it, it's so much better. And you can see, you can see why you went through it. And I don't know, you just, it's one of those things Praise you the Lord, have to man. experience. It's one of those things you really have to experience to be able to just say, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about, right? But at the end of the day, we're, we're kind of ending where we began, so to say, even though we still got 20 minutes left. But at the same time, there is good in these things that happen. Even the worst 
argument that if this really happened, because let's be honest, right? If an atheist gives us an argument, they're speaking to the emotions. They're going to speak to draw it out and make it just as horrible as it possibly can. First and foremost, if that were to actually happen to somebody, I could still look at them and they came to me advice, right? I could still look at them and say, I, I, I agree. It's horrible. It's horrible. But God is working something. I don't know what it is. You don't know what Amen. it is. He knows what it is. But God, I can say that with confidence to go to bed at night and know that that's true. God is working something good through that. And 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 just to remind everybody just one more thing about what Romans 8 says. I mean, and no, not about Romans 8, 28 and 29, not 30. No, no, no. I want to go a little bit further past that. And I just want to read it just for anyone like, or like Braxton said that's going through a rough time, that's going through trials, that's going through tribulations, can I just start in 35 and just go to the end of the chapter? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul's doing the same thing the atheist is doing. He's given the worst things that can possibly happen, <laughs> yeah. right? Exactly. As it is written, for your sake, we encounter death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. They're not saying you're not going to accepting Jesus as just puppies and rainbows. That's not what they're saying. They're saying right. expect a hard time. Expect they encounter a time. death every day. Yes. Encountering exactly. death. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I mean, our, our God yeah, yeah. is a great redeemer. And whatever evil is happening in the world, he can redeem it and bring something beautiful out of that situation. One of the common examples that's given because it comes from a famous atheist pa uh, paper by a guy named William Rowe, but they'll say, look, look, there are certain evils that just have no purpose. Like, and he, he comes up with a hypothetical that we can imagine happening, a lightning striking a tree and it falling on a deer and burning up and keep burning the deer. And he's like, look, this deer dies. There's no nutrients in the soil burnt up. It's, there's no good that comes out of this. Well, hold on. You don't know the butterfly effect that a hundred years from now may come about because of that event with that deer. You just don't, we don't, the only way you would know that there's nothing that can be redeemed and brought out of this. That's good is you'd have to be God to know that. You'd have right? to be omniscient. Yeah. In which case God exists. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> He's arguing with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a win either way. It's a win either way. Josh, you got anything else you want to say? On that topic, um, I mean, I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I could probably like piggyback off of that for like another hour, but I kind of feel oh, yeah, like easily we, I, I, I want to move on from the from the, the slow and the dredging because we can talk about suffering forever. But there are some mm -hmm. things that I think are probably a little bit more uh, forwardly minded. We could we could go over. So I kind of want to move on. Um, the, the thing that I was I was going to ask you next is actually about um, as an apologist, because this is something that you do uh, not only you know, administratively through the college, you inform people who are going to be the leaders and, 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 you know, authors and things like that for the next generation. Right. Uh, but also we're going to be using that information and the people that they reach are going to be using that information to reach others. And it's this rippling effect. And so you're in kind of a unique position, you know? Uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of wondering that. what you think are, are some of the concerns in the realm of modern Christian apologetics that you see becoming a, fu a future focus in the near future, some things that maybe you see are on the horizon that mm -hmm. are going to become more relevant. The thing that comes most quickly to mind is consciousness. Um, I just did a project uh, on consciousness with my church that was a whole stage production. I've never I saw seen that. It. That was really was rad, awesome. by the way. Good job. Well, I appreciate that, guys. The music and was pretty cool. 
Yeah, we actually have some really talented musicians at our church and in our community. But um, consciousness right now, Josh Rasmussen, who is probably the world's leading philosopher on contingency arguments, um, which is a type of argument for God's existence. Uh, he's focusing all his efforts on consciousness as an argument for God's existence and for the soul. Um, he he is an Oxford published scholar. He's he's that's going to be fantastic. And uh, that's just been really hot right now, honestly, with worldview discussions. Even even many uh, atheists. Um, I, I there was a guy who responded to one of my videos who's a soap opera actor named Scott Clifton, and. Uh, Scott Clifton said that that's one thing that he thinks counts in favor of of God is consciousness. It's just an amazing thing. So I I think that's one thing. I think on a sciencey side of things, of course that could be sciencey, but on the more sciencey side of things, I think issues related to quantum mechanics is going to be big going into the future. Uh, does that in any way imply God? Of course, there's a well known apologist named Michael Jones who runs a YouTube channel called Inspiring Philosophy. Yes. And he 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 has an argument for God's existence that's based on quantum mechanics. So I think that's something we could see in the future. I think on the cultural side, issues related to human sexuality um, is going. I mean, th that's always been there, but with with the acceptance of um, trans issues and things like that, I think that's going to continue. And abortion is going to continue to be a thing that, on the social side, right. apologists are going to have to deal with. In terms of the arguments, I think, like I said, consciousness. Um, and um, and quantum physics, and then also just this, the arguments that have stood the test of time for over a thousand years, like like the yeah. one that we discussed at the beginning of the show. That's kind of where right. I wanted to, to go to, if you guys don't mind, because atheism, is it a relatively new thing? Is this just <laughs> enlightenment, or do we look back in history and actually see atheists? I caught an article a while back, it was a long time ago, forget if I can find it, I'll link it in the description. But it was basically an argument that said, no, atheists have always existed, right? And and it wasn't an enlightenment thing. So is that is there truth to that? Or or is this is atheism as a movement as a whole, is it new? And what does that mean that we don't see that in history? It's not new in the sense that I think there probably were atheists sure. at each uh, major division, uh, uh, at least going back, you know, two or three thousand years those people existed, but it wasn't a movement. And it, and, and, and it's difficult to say really, because yes, you guys probably know early Christians in the early church were referred to as atheists and cannibals, right. Right. cannibals because of our view uh, because of a misunderstanding of communion, you know, yeah. uh, what some people would refer to as the Lord's supper it sounded like we were literally eating someone's flesh and blood. Right. And so we were cannibals, but we were also atheists. Why are we atheists? We believe in a God, right? Yeah, but yeah. you're atheists because you reject all the other gods. It's almost like what they say today, right? Yeah. Polycarp story is my favorite in church history. I love whenever he oh. points to the Roman, they say down with the atheist. Look to the Christians say down with the atheist. And he points to the Roman legion. He says down with the atheist. It's like, yes, yes. Yeah. Ultimate <laughs> mic drop moment in church history. Yeah. And what a death he had as a martyr. Um, mm. If that story is correct. And I think we have good reason to believe that it is. Um, but it, yeah, so that's what I see coming down the pipe. I think. Right Interesting. On, right so, on. so I, I think I agree with you. Um, mostly what, what I think is going to be probably coming down the tube is something like, um, a, a larger emphasis on, uh, understanding and answering, 
sexuality problems, but also um, understanding the problem of uh, of consciousness and emergence and that kind of thing. And, and when you mentioned Michael Jones, that actually reminded me that his argument is basically that the universe is made of information and that I said the universe is made of meaning. And so I think that's probably an interesting overlap there. And yeah. I'm, I'm saying that as a storyteller, not as a physicist. And so uh, it's, I think that's, that's kind of a cool thing that that has such an overlap is really great depth there. But I think consciousness is probably the thing that will be uh, for the Christian, the thing that becomes like, look, do you not understand, like you, you can't put enough Legos together to get a mind. Like it doesn't work like right. that. Right. Material composition doesn't make consciousness. It doesn't. That doesn't work. Something right. else is at play here. And so um, I think that's, that's really, yeah, that's a really powerful emphasis. I hope that we learn more about consciousness. I'd be excited because I also have a really great interest in psychology. And so, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting for me. Um, yeah. But, well, and, and I should say about the human sexuality issue, anyone who considers them a part of the church, you consider yourself a believer in the one true God, you're trusting Jesus for your sins, you've repented of it, you're a biblical Christian, you're going to try to do what the Bible says. If that describes you, in my opinion, and of course I could be wrong, the, the thing that is going to make Christianity appear um, completely unacceptable in the coming years is issues around human sexuality and, and biblical teaching on human sexuality. And there's going to be a strong effort. If you're a listener out there in a car or at home, there's going to be a strong effort to get the Christian church to reject that teaching in scripture and soften up on those issues. And of course the progressive church is doing that right yeah. now. Don't do it. If you believe what the Bible says, believe what the Bible says to be a Christian at base must mean you want to believe what Jesus believed. And Jesus believed the Old Testament. Yeah. Absolutely. And Paul, of course, mentions it in Romans and First Corinthians, right? The Old Testament and the New, right? First Corinthians right. 6, Revelation. There's a list. There's a literal list yeah. of people who are not getting in heaven. Homosexuals is on that list. I mean, it's mm -hmm. not that we're trying to hate. It's that we're trying to love and tell you guys, if you continue in this lifestyle, you'll go to hell. That's what it mm -hmm. boils down to. And and so we love you and we want, you know, we, we want the best. We, we really do. So speaking on that, um, man, yeah, we, whew, I wasn't expecting that, but I, I'm glad that we went there. So, uh, thank you guys for, thank you guys for that. Uh, Noah, you've been super quiet and I want to give you, since we're winding down, I want to give you the last opportunity to kind of, kind of speak what's on your mind. You've listened to this Come on, discussion. Noah. What, Bring what it. you got, man? Part of the discussion. Had to step you out there it. for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, if, if I can, doctor, what was, tell me the story of how you came to Christ. How did, what, what got you to this place to where you feel passionate about going on the internet, talking about these things, running your YouTube channel and coming on and doing guest appearances? So my salvation testimony is basically, as I said, at the top of the show, I was raised uh, in a, in a mega church environment. My dad was a pastor of a church of 5,000 and I was there through the building program, this big new building and all of that. And, uh, when I was about five years old and I realized that's very young, but at five years old, I went into the pastorum, the church, the, the, the house the church had for us to live in. Mm -hmm. I went into my dad and I, I said, dad, I want to be a Christian. I want to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Do you know um, who Jesus is? And he knew I did. Mm -hmm. And I explained it. He said, do you know why Jesus died on the cross? See, yeah, he died for my sins. 
Um, now I couldn't have broken down atonement theory or anything, but I understood sure. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and he said, well, then in my opinion, you know, everything you need to know. And if you're feeling an urging to come to me and talk about this. So I prayed my own prayer to ask Christ to forgive me of my sins. And uh, I repented of my sins to come into my life, save me. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I, I did all that right there on this brown shag carpet in uh, Florida. And then that very day was baptized. Now I have to say, few years later, Noah, I was, I was, my dad, I guess I was 10 at this point. Okay. And my dad was preaching somewhere and I just felt compelled to leave the auditorium. And I got alone at 10 years old. And I said, Lord, I don't know if I was really saved when I was 10 years old I don't, or five years old. I don't know if I understood enough. I don't know. In case I didn't, I just wanted, if I've never given my whole heart to you now, I'm giving it now. I repent <laughs> yeah. of my sins. And so to this day, honestly, I think probably I really got saved when I was five years old. But if that's not the case, I know I nailed it down at 10. And right did you, and, and when you came back, as you went through life, did you have opportunities or experiences to where people challenged that faith? And did you have answers for as you, as you come across? I mean, obviously, if you're debating atheists now and giving presentation, obviously— you've kind of mastered that, but was there a rough spot where you struggled with your faith or struggled with answering some of those questions? Sure. I, you know, I've moved on several doctrinal issues within Christianity, but above and beyond that, um, as I, as I may have said earlier in the show, initially when my close friend began to spout atheist, um, sort of stuff to me, it, it rattled me, but not in the sense that I had doubt. It rattled me that I wanted to give an answer. I didn't know how to give. Unfortunately, I was a pastor from the age 20, and that's probably mm-hmm. too young for me to have been pastoring, but I don't think I heard anything. Um, but, but, uh, but I was kind of, I, I just kind of picked this up from people that if you're a pastor, then you need to be able to thump the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, even if you don't know what the Lord thus saith about something. Well, that is destructive. That's how cults mm, begin. Yeah, right? That's yeah. not what you do. But there were years where I studied enough that I had probably the answers related to the sermons I was preaching. But these bigger issues out there were still hanging there. And it wasn't until I took a deep dive into some Christian defense. And in fact, I'll just encourage encourage anyone out there. Just if you want to know how to defend your faith, I say pick up Case for Christ as a place to begin. It's just not that difficult to understand. Yeah, at least trouble. Starts with the resurrection. You can watch the movie with your family. I think that's a great. And it wasn't until I started digging in that that I really got to that point. Yeah. 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 Braxton, we got about 20 seconds left. Where can people find you? If they love this discussion so far, they want more Braxton Hunter. Where can they find you at? So my personal website is braxtonhunter.com. And uh, there's also the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. And then our school is trinitysem.edu. We have a lot of people who just take it just as, as lay church people want to go further in, in studying that. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. And thank you so much for chilling out with us, man. It's, it's been a pleasure. We will see you guys next week with Tim Stedman to talk about giants. Nephilim should be an interesting discussion. We'll see you all next week. Good night. God bless and stay safe.